Hi, podcast listeners. Back when we recorded this episode, Baker Donaldson was in the midst of the certification process for the 5.0 iteration. We are proud that we have since achieved Mansfield 5.0 Certification Plus status and wanted to update our listeners. Additionally, you will learn more about our special guest this week as we introduce her here shortly, but at the time of this recording, Natalia was the Mansfield Rural Director for Diversity Lab. She has since left Diversity Lab, but continues to support the important DEI work in the legal industry with her new employer. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hello, and welcome to Diversity Ever After, a Baker Donaldson DI podcast. We are professionals focused on creating an honest and accepting space for ourselves, our community, and our listeners. Here at Diversity Ever After, we raise awareness of DI workplace and social issues, we advocate for increased representation and inclusion, and we navigate uncomfortable but necessary conversations. Inclusion starts with I, so we invite you to listen and become in touch, in tune, and inclusive. Welcome to another episode of Diversity Ever After. I'm your guest host, Brian Fernandez. I'm an associate with Baker Donaldson in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I'm joined today by Cheryl Hunt, our Diversity and Inclusion Manager here at Baker Donaldson. We have an exciting episode today brought to you by the Diversity Lab on the Mansfield Rule. Cheryl, Tell us a little bit about Diversity Lab and the Mansfield Rule. Hi, Brian. Thanks so much for that wonderful introduction. My name is Cheryl Hunt, and I'm the firm's Diversity and Inclusion Manager. And we're joined today by a wonderful guest from Diversity Lab, Natalia Marulanda. Natalia, is there anything else that you would like for our listeners to know about you? Well, first, thank you all so much for the invitation and, and having me join you all today. Um, as far as my background, I am a former practicing lawyer who decided to take a different path. I've been focusing on DEI for the last six or seven years, and I've been with Diversity Lab for three years, helping to lead the Mansfield role. So I'm excited to be here and talk a little bit more about that effort. So as Brian mentioned earlier, today we're going to talk about um, Diversity Lab and the Mansfield role in particular. So the Mansfield Rule is a national initiative um, among leading law firms that's really working to diversify firm leadership by expanding pipelines and increasing transparency, as well as participating in candid knowledge sharing calls. As a Mansfield Rule Certified Plus firm, we are really excited to learn more about this initiative and to share with our listeners today. Natalia, can you tell us a little bit more about what Diversity Lab in particular does? Diversity Lab is uh, what we call an incubator for innovative ideas. And what we do is work in close collaboration with our law firm and legal department clients to come up with new ideas and solutions for how we can increase diversity, equity, and inclusion in the legal profession. Um, a lot of our ideas come through have come through the hackathons that we've hosted in the past, and we take those ideas and we build them out and we pilot them, and we work with our very brave uh, law firms and legal departments who are willing to try something new. All of our initiatives are really rooted in data and behavioral science in design thinking, and we're very much committed to testing those ideas, but also sharing the results of those and sharing the lessons learned so that the rest of the profession can, can benefit from that. And the very first diversity lab initiative was the on-ramp fellowship 
which is a reentry platform that matches lawyers who have taken a hiatus from their careers with law firms and legal departments for year-long fellowships. And this was the brainchild of our fearless leader and CEO, Karen Ulrich Stacy. Uh, it's been an incredibly successful program and it's still currently running today. And building on that success, we had the Women in Law Hackathon in 2016, which brought together law firm partners, legal department leaders, law students, all different stakeholders to come together and work together over the course of several months and come up with new, interesting, innovative ideas. And that's where the Mansfield rule was born, actually, from the Women in Law Hackathon. It was um, rooted or inspired by the Rooney rule, but of course, we of course had to come take it back into the lab, tinker with it, and created an initiative that is is different, but we're enormously proud of and has grown quite a bit over the last few years. You mentioned the Mansfield rule, and while Baker Donaldson is a proud Mansfield certified plus firm for two consecutive years, and we're working on our third certification, many folks may not really know what exactly the Mansfield rule is. Can you talk a little bit about what impacts the Mansfield rule has on firms and why is it something important that matters and that firms should consider? Sure. So the Mansfield rule is designed, as was said earlier, to diversify leadership and the pipeline to leadership in law firms. And it's very targeted toward that specific goal. And the idea is that if we brought in the pool of people that we consider for significant leadership roles, if we brought in the pool of people that we consider for equity partner promotions, for our senior level lateral hiring, for activities like who's considered for pitches, that we'll be able to actually have more diversity in those outcomes. And so the Mansfield rule requires law firms to consider candidate pools that are made up of at least 30% underrepresented lawyers when they're making these decisions around senior level lateral hiring, promotions, leadership, election, and appointments. And the reason why that 30% metric is so important is because there is research that shows that you do need to have a critical mass in the candidate pool in order to interrupt biases and to make sure that you're not falling into a tokenism dynamic. So we've built that into the rule and we have, as I said, that broader goal of diversifying leadership. But within that, there's some really important other goals that Mansfield rule firms are achieving and that we think are critical to the success of the rule, which is establishing tracking and documentation norms. Many firms have not historically been tracking many of these uh, categories before, or they haven't been doing so in a formal way. So this really gives them a framework to do that. And we all know the importance of data and you, you, know, you get what you measure. So you have to have that baseline in order to better understand where you need to focus your efforts. It's also about expanding mindsets. It's just changing the way that people think about leadership and what leadership looks like, inserting a, a pause into that process where you actually have to make intentional decisions and be more thoughtful rather than just sort of reflexively going to the status quo and, and thinking about the people who you know best, because there could be so many others that you just haven't thought of because maybe you haven't seen them recently or you haven't had as much opportunity to get to know them. Um, so this really inserts that intentionality into the decision-making process. Um, increasing transparency is incredibly important as well. 
workplaces in general, but I think law firms in particular tend to be very opaque in terms of access to information, specifically when it comes to how do people advance? How do I become a practice group leader? How do I get promoted even to become an equity partner? So we've included some transparency related elements into the Mansfield rule to ensure that we're writing some of those unwritten rules and that we're leveling the playing field in terms of access to information. And then lastly, the knowledge sharing component, it's hugely important. I think it's something that makes um, Mansfield rule really unique. Every firm is gonna do their own tracking, but we do work together as a cohort to share knowledge. We have monthly knowledge sharing calls. We have a collaborative resource library. We have a message board. We firmly believe that you will get much more done, much more accomplished, much faster if you work together and learn from each other rather than trying to solve these problems in isolation. So that's sort of the background on what the Mansfield rule is and how firms get certified um, by meeting that 30% thresholds, but also by participating in knowledge sharing, participating in check-ins with Diversity Lab. Um, it just adds, like I said, a whole framework of accountability and data tracking that formalizes a lot of these processes for firms. Natalia, we've been talking a lot about the Mansfield rule and its impact and prevalence in law firms. Can you talk a little bit about how the Mansfield rule is being applied within in-house counsel departments at corporations and the, and the impact that Mansfield rule is having across those departments? The Mansfield rule expanded um, just a few years ago. We had legal departments who are incredibly supportive of the Mansfield rule, and they are have been a driving force for adoption on the law firm side because they tend to you know, ask their law firms whether they're Mansfield certified, and they encourage them to participate, which we're very grateful for. But they also wanted a version of this that they could utilize themselves to help them diversify their legal departments. And so we did launch launched the Mansfield rule for legal departments a couple of years ago, where uh, the framework is, again, sort of similar to what we're doing on the law firm side, but it has been redesigned to fit law firm structure. So some of the categories look a little bit different. Um, in, in particular, they're not only looking at how to diversify their own internal legal department ranks, but also taking diversity into account and using these consideration thresholds when working with outside counsel and selecting outside counsel. Um, and they've also made it, uh, it's a little slightly more difficult or challenging for them in the sense that their thresholds are a little bit higher. So in the law firm side, we have firms meet that 30% consideration thresholds. On the legal department side, they have a 50% consideration threshold just because legal departments tend to be more diverse than law firms. And so um, we wanted to make sure that we were continuing to stretch and push them. And they also have an additional requirement where at least 20% of the candidate pool um, has to consist of underrepresented racial and ethnic lawyers, LGBTQ plus lawyers, um, or lawyers with disabilities. So there's like that extra consideration target there. And um, they're currently in their third cohort. They have about 100 participating legal departments, and it's shown to be a really great collaboration and a different way for firms and their clients to, to work together toward achieving DEI goals. Earlier, Natalia, you mentioned the Rooney Rule in your explanation of the Mansfield Rule. Can you explain a little bit more about what the Rooney Rule is and how it ties into Diversity Labs' objectives? 
Sure. So the Rudy Rule is an initiative from the NFL that initially, when it was first conceived, was meant to increase diversity in head coach positions in the NFL. And the initial idea behind it was that NFL teams, whenever they had an open head coach position um, or I think a management position, general manager position, they would have to interview at least one racially or ethnically diverse candidate. It's changed a little bit since then. They have since added some new requirements, um, I think, to address some of the um, some of the weaknesses in the rule as it was originally designed. But it was the inspiration, as I said, for the Mansfield rule in that it focuses on consideration of candidates for leadership roles. And it's not really focused on quotas, but just that consideration process. It is focused on leadership in the same way that the Rooney rule is. And they both have the word rule in them. But beyond that, um, we were really, I guess, fortunate that we had about a decade's worth of learnings of the Rooney rule and all of the efforts that have taken place since then that allowed us to design the Mansfield rule in a different way that really accounted for some of those weaknesses. And so there's about a dozen different ways in that the, the Mansfield rule is different from the Rooney rule. But I think some of the more important ones, or I should say they're all important, but some of the most significant ones are first that the Mansfield rule really focuses on all stages of the talent life cycle versus just thinking about the hiring process. It really is about thinking not just in terms of who you're hiring, but who are you promoting? Who are you nominating or appointing to these leadership roles? How are you building your client teams? Um, so that I think is something that's really different from what the Mansfield rule is doing by just focusing on who are we interviewing and ultimately hiring. Um, also, that 30% metric, it's really important. The research does show that when you just have one or two underrepresented candidates in the pool, it's unlikely to really move the needle or make any difference because they often tend to be seen as token interviews. And so making sure that you do have that critical mass is, is really important. And then um, there's also the fact that this is not just a, a pledge or a sort of initiative where you would say, okay, yes, we, we're going to do this, but we have all kinds of accountability and transparency and data collection built into it. So firms have to fill out midpoint surveys where they're giving us lots of data around how the Mansfield rule is working. They have frequent check-ins with us as well. There's, of course, the ultimate certification process. And I think really importantly, too, this is a totally opt-in participation uh, type initiative. This is um, something that firms are volunteering to do because they really want to demonstrate their commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And again, going back to that research, it shows that when you have voluntary participation in an initiative, that correlates to increased buy-in. And that's certainly not the case, I think, for the Rooney Rule. So there's lots of other ways, and I'm happy to get into more of those probably some other time. We could spend all, all of our time talking about that, but I think those are some of the most significant differences. That's great, Natalia. Thanks so much for expanding on that. In my role here at Baker Donaldson as the firm's diversity and inclusion manager, I see firsthand the work that firms must do, and you gave a great explanation on kind of diving into those expectations and the commitments that they have to make in order to become Mansfield Rolled certified and even certified plus. 
And so as more and more firms continue to become Mansfield rule certified, how do you think the Mansfield rule has impacted the legal industry? And then how do you think it will continue to do so in the coming years as well? Yeah, that's a great question. And so the Mansfield rule, as I said at the beginning, we are really committed to collecting data and reporting out on what impact our initiatives have. And the Mansfield rule is no exception. And we have been collecting data over the years and just recently did um, an analysis of our early adopter firms. So the firms that were part of the inaugural Mansfield rule cohort um, and have participated in two full cycles. And we compared that data with non Mansfield participating firms and what we found, and these were our data scientists who are part of our team. What we found was that there were some pretty significant findings in terms of the positive impact that Mansfield rule is having on on individual firms. And of course, when you consider the fact that there's. You know, hundreds of firms that are now participating both in the original Mansfield rule, the mid-sized Mansfield rule, our Mansfield rule in the UK, um, that's collectively having a really important impact on the profession itself. So some of the things that we were able to find through that analysis were that for underrepresented racial and ethnic lawyers, these early adopter firms were able to diversify their management committees at more than 30 times the rate of non-mansfield firms during that same time frame, which is really significant when especially when you consider just how influential management committees are across these firms. Um, also, the racial and ethnic diversity of non-mansfield firms at the partner nomination committee. So when we think about that next generation of leaders increased um, during this time frame when it had actually decreased in non-mansfield participating firms. And along the sort of same lines, the racially diverse lawyers at these early adopter firms are progressing into the partnership at statistically higher rates than they were prior to joining Mansfield. So I think those are all really important and significant findings, especially because I think sometimes people have a tendency to focus on Mansfield as it relates to women. I think maybe because it came from the Women in Law Hackathon, but it's it's certainly showing that it's serving far more than just women at the firms and that other underrepresented groups um, are also positively benefiting from the Mansfield rule. And then women lawyers are also part of that success as well. Um, they're progressing into leadership as part of the management committee and the partnership and partner review committees at a whole at a statistically higher rate than they were prior to Mansfield as well. So again, these are sort of, you know, just looking at that from, you know, these hundreds of firms that participate it's having a major impact on the profession as a whole. And in terms of how we will continue to do so, well, we iterate the Mansfield rule every year. And so we base everything that we do in, as I said, research and data and design thinking, which really allows us to iterate as we go. And so we work with our participating firms every year to think about where are we going to go next? What are we going to focus on next year? How can we keep pushing the needle? Um, and we we utilize the data that we have to figure out our next steps. And so the Mansfield rule, as it looks today, is far more uh, robust, let's say, than it looked initially. 
So, for example, when the Mansfield rule first launched, it was just focusing on women and racially and ethnically um, underrepresented lawyers. But now it also includes LGBTQ plus lawyers and lawyers with disabilities. We're also now tracking, you know, who's considered for pitches, who's considered for submission to chambers. Um, you know, these are things that weren't initially included, but are important and and really make a difference in terms of the power structures at firms. And that's what we're we're seeking to change. So we uh, we've included that and we'll continue to make those changes um, in partnership with our clients. Wow, indeed, it's clear that the uh, Mansfield rule has had a significant impact on the legal profession, the legal industry as a whole. But you know, I'm curious to know your guys' perspective on its impact on a more micro level. Cheryl, as Baker Donaldson's uh, diversity and inclusion manager, what are some of the demonstrative changes that you have witnessed yourself here at Baker since the firm became Mansfield Rule certified? Since adopting the Mansfield Rule, I have seen that it's really been a significant step in furthering our ongoing commitment to diversity and inclusion here at the firm. Our D&I compact that was launched in 2020 which, as we know, is a multi-year plan to drastically increase the number of diverse attorneys within our ranks, as well as committing to providing additional support and removing barriers for advancement, really ties in nicely with the Mansfield Rule. Like, the timing of when we joined the Mansfield Rule really complemented what we were outlining in the compact. It outlines, you know, our commitment to truly be an industry-leading law firm in DNI. And we've relied, you know, on the resources that Mansfield Rule provides in order to help us achieve that certification process. So our participation here at Baker in the Mansfield Rule has really enhanced, I would say, the transparency and accountability that are really inherent in the Mansfield certification process by improving inclusivity and really continuing to make Baker Donaldson a welcoming firm. What I've observed in terms of the tangibles here at Baker is that it's truly becoming part of the fabric of our hiring practices, leadership, and advancement decisions, and it's really leveling the playing field for traditionally underrepresented groups here at Baker. Those are really exciting developments, both for the industry at large and here at Baker. I know, Natalia, you spoke a little bit about Mansfield in the UK and, and the global perspective for the Mansfield Rule and, and Diversity Labs. Can you share with us a little bit about where you envision the future of the Mansfield Rule and uh, its global perspective, its global impact? Sure. So last year we launched the Mansfield Rule UK. We had received a lot of interest from some of our US based firms with UK offices, as well as some UK based firms who had heard about the Mansfield Rule and wanted to implement it. And we wanted to be able to provide that. So we developed the Mansfield Rule UK modeled after the US uh, and Canada version. And it's very, very similar. It operates with all the same principles. Some of the categories are slightly different just to account for differences, uh, you know, in the UK firm structures. But beyond that, um, everything is, is pretty similar. And we are just wrapping up that first year of certification for those 14 firms that are currently participating, which has been tremendously exciting. We've learned so much uh, through that process. And we continue to get interest from firms across the globe who 
read about the Mansfield rule, who read about the success and the impact that it's having and would like for us to do the same thing uh, in their parts of the world. And we've definitely talked about ways that we can do that. There's, of course, some challenges associated with that because privacy regulations in terms of collecting a lot of this demographic data are different around the world um, and can in some cases, just make it incredibly challenging to collect the kind of data you need to really make this work. Um, and obviously definitions about what diversity means can be incredibly complex and different depending on where you're located. So it's gonna take a little bit of time for us to be able to figure out how to scale this beyond uh, the countries where we currently operate, but we're always thinking about it and we always appreciate when firms come to us and, and ask us you know, questions about it from around the world. And frankly, I think that those principles that I mentioned earlier about tracking and documentation and transparency and knowledge sharing, I think those are all things that they could start to implement now that could help them make a significant difference, even without necessarily, you know, the, the full, you know, weight of the Mansfield rule behind it, but certainly would be a great starting point. You mentioned a lot about data, data capturing metrics. What's some of the most surprising data that you've collected since a firm became Mansfield certified? What are some of the surprising trends that you find in the data? It shouldn't be surprising, but I think one of us is how few of them have actually been doing tracking and documenting. Um, you know, some firms, when they join, we ask them, you know, have you been tracking the diversity of your candidate pools across these range of categories? And now I don't see it as often, but certainly a couple of years ago, the vast majority of firms were not tracking across these categories. And so you have to wonder how can you make progress if you don't have the data that you need in order to be strategic and know where to focus your efforts. And so the sometimes really low rates of um, responses in terms of firms that were already tracking those things was surprising. But I think, you know, for the most part, the data shows us that there are some some categories are more challenging than others like uh, lateral partner hiring for example is one that can be challenging for firms or tracking pitches because it is such an involved complex process um, so i don't think those things are hugely um, surprising but it's always just incredibly heartwarming to see how many of them feel like they have really experienced cultural changes that have positively impacted the firm as well. So when they talk about, you know, we had now have more formal discussions around diversity in a way that we didn't before we have uh, are so much more intentional and in how we, you know, just make decisions and it's given us all these insights into other processes that Mansfield doesn't touch. So when you're thinking about, for example, well, why is it that we can't get a 30% slate to participate on this pitch? Oh, well, because we don't have the, you know, enough attorneys who have this skill set. Well, why is that? And then you start to, you know, dig in a little bit deeper and it just helps you now have a much more strategic career development, talent development plan, um, even though that's not necessarily what we're what we're touching, but it certainly gives tons of insight and helps firms put together a, a more comprehensive talent management strategy. Absolutely. Data is a powerful tool and Mansfield rule is a powerful and positive initiative for the industry and for Baker Donaldson as a whole. We thank you for listening. We hope you found this episode informative and insightful. Many thanks again to our distinguished guest for sharing her perspective 
And remember to subscribe to Diversity Ever After wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time on another episode of Diversity Ever After. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Diversity Ever After, a Baker Donaldson DI podcast. We hope that this conversation has made you feel more seen, valued, and empowered to become in touch, in tune, and inclusive in your day-to-day interactions. Remember that inclusion starts with I. Until next time, please like, comment, and share this episode.